This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Uh, hi everybody, I'm Peter Hamilton. Our f- we'll have a fantastic panel here today and uh, our topic is mystif- demystifying, not mystifying, although we'll get a bit of that too, VOD, what video on demand meets, uh, means for docs. And I'm going to ask our three expert panellists to briefly introduce themselves. Um, primarily focus on iView. So I look after iView from both a product point of view, so what are the features and functionalities and what platforms do we need to be on, but also more importantly and um, often more enjoyably, look after it from a content point of view as well. Um, And one of the the biggest highlights for us last year for the iView team was securing some very precious uh, ABC reinvestment money in some digital first commissioning for content to premiere on iView and then, depending on on what it is and how it works, uh, potentially go on to have a second window back on broadcast. Uh, So we're focusing all of that commissioning on our um, 18 to 35-year-old audience. That's really an audience that is a big gap for ABC broadcast services and we know that they're already heavily engaged um, in online um, video-on-demand services and also particularly engaged with iView, so it's a great opportunity for us. And we forecast that actually, from ABC's point of view, we'll be reaching more 25 to 35-year-olds via iView in two to three years than we will via broadcast. So that's exciting, and that sort of um, gives you an idea of just how central iView is to our future. And we've got together a very brief reel to give you a feel for the types of content that we're commissioning for iView. Um, This is with uh, all of the money that we secured last year, and we'll give you a flavour for what we're looking for going forward as well. So if we've got the reel, we'll share that. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you. So, Rebecca, uh, we were just turning on the volume there. You're the head of strategy and digital, is that right? That's right, in ABC TV. And how many people do you have working for you? Uh, Good question. That changes daily, but uh, about 35, 40 people. So it's a big team and it's a big part of the future. Yeah, absolutely. So Roger's come with us all the way from California. Hi, good afternoon. Um, My name is Roger Jackson. I'm a POM, as you can tell, um, but I've lived in Los Angeles for the last 15 years. I'm the co-founder of a video-on-demand super distributor, Uh, called Kino Nation, K-I-N-O, German for cinema, Nation. Uh, We're a joint venture with a a German company, um, offices in LA, Germany, China, and now India. Um, And we are a technology platform that makes it incredibly easy for content creators, filmmakers, producers, all over the world, any format, to distribute their uh, documentary or narrative feature or TV show to dozens of VOD platforms all over the planet. Um, so, Roger, we'll get down to the detail in a few minutes, and you have a lot to share. Sharon. Hi, everyone. My name is Sharon Ramsey-Luck. Um, I head the um, 
content sales business for ABC Commercial, so the distribution arm of the ABC, and we are seeing some significant changes in terms of market acceptance, trends, obviously sales value, because the digital platforms, just to share some of those insights. Thanks, Peter. Right, so just uh, looking quickly at our agenda. Uh, so we've introduced ourselves. We're gonna talk about industry structure, who are the players, what are the deals, and then finally share some advice with you about how to succeed. Uh, in terms of housekeeping, we hope to give you 15 or 20 minutes for Q&A. And we have, there's a quick turnaround afterwards, maybe only five or 10 minutes before the next session. So we don't have a lot of time to chat at the end. So listen, I'm Peter Hamilton and I work in New York and my newsletter covers the documentary and unscripted TV business. It's free and you can subscribe. I can't get the, the button there, but it, uh, you can subscribe for free. And we do case studies and profiles of various markets. And that picture in the right hand corner is me when I was a teacher at Sunshine Tech back in the 70s. And I was rescued by a grant from the Whitlam government which changed my career, allowed me to get into uh, film and television and uh, production through the education category. So um, just very quickly, in our newsletter, we have an enormous amount of information about VOD that Roger in particular has shared. What's the deal? Who are the players? So if you're missing out on any stuff in this meeting, you can get a lot more information just by logging on for free to my newsletter. So first of all, I was gonna ask the panelists, just one by one, quickly, snapshot, and I think you've already answered, Rebecca, is this a big deal or is it like, um, uh, like 3D, a flash in the pan? Definitely a big deal for us at the ABC. And I think one of our challenges, the challenges for, for many broadcasters, and BBC puts it really well, is that we're riding two horses at the moment, both broadcast and video on demand, and we will be for quite some time to come. So how we actually spread our resources across two very different platforms is going to be our biggest challenge, but it's also you know, a hugely exciting opportunity for storytelling. Roger, big deal? Yeah, huge deal. Um, we, we're rapidly um, racing towards a world where it will be genuinely possible for every movie ever made to be available to everyone on the planet in every single language. And that sounds like hubris, but it's really very close. It's around the corner. And you're a critical part of that process. Is that right, Roger? Yeah, we, we hope so, yeah. <laughs> so, Sharon, um, big deal for you too. Yeah, I'd, li I'd like to be contentious, but <laughs> no, it's, it's totally a, a huge deal for us and I think it's a huge opportunity for filmmakers. From the sales perspective, it, it does lead to very delicate negotiations because of that deal and, multi and managing all the factors at play, but absolutely huge. And I agree with Roger, it's only going to get bigger. So as we think through the history of video, this is as big a deal as the shift from broadcast to cable and satellite or in the classroom from 16 millimeter to video, home video, it's a big change in platforms and distribution. So Roger, we thought we'd call on you to define VOD. What is VOD? What are the major categories? So VOD, VOD, video on demand, um, just means what it says, video that's available whenever you want it. Um, the three major categories um, that I'll explain are SVOD, uh, TVOD and AVOD, so SVOD, SVOD, Subscription Video On Demand. Netflix is the big example. Um, it's a service, as you know, where you pay 
maybe 10 bucks a month, and you get all you can eat. So you watch as many shows as you want to. That's SVOD. Um, TVOD is transactional video on demand. That's typified by iTunes and Google Play and Vimeo on demand, all global services. Um, that's not all you can eat. That's where you, you spend, for example, five bucks to rent a film and maybe 10 or 12 bucks to buy it. So that's transactional video on demand. And then AVOD, advertising supported video on demand, is exactly that. So it's, it's de facto free, um, but what you're paying as you, as you do with commercial TV, what you're paying is, is your time to watch commercials. So a big US example of an AVOD platform would be Hulu, um, and either they run 30 second spots both before a, a doco and at maybe every seven or 10 minutes during the doco with the, with the commercial breaks typically defined by the producer. So at the very least, if there has to be a commercial, it comes in a relevant spot. But Hulu also have a subscription platform, correct? Hulu have a subscription platform. A lot of these VOD platforms around the world are, are hybrids of, of different business models. So Hulu is both AVOD and also SVOD. If you want to pay the money to Hulu, then you get it ad-free. If you don't want to pay them every month, then you have to sit through the ads. So we got SVOD, TVOD, and AVOD, and some AVOD is also SVOD, but then we realise we have another VOD in Australia that we'd forgotten about. What's that one? Well, which is free VOD or FVOD, um, and obviously that applies fairly uniquely to public broadcasters, um, including iView for the ABC, but also iPlayer with the BBC um, in the UK. Um, is there any other country in which there is a free VOD? You said BBC, is that correct? Uh, well, yeah, the I most public broadcasters that's right. would, mm -hmm. would have one, and, and in Europe that's a significant part of the audience, as it is in Australia, right? In the United States, does PBS have? No, PBS work? doesn't have a, we have a lot of PBS content that we distribute, but we distribute to those other VOD services that PBS don't have yet their own um, standalone VOD service. And PBS has a different funding model, you know, at its very core. So it's, you know, it's fairly unique to us and the BBC. Uh, PBS is a unique, we call it an, an anarchic federation of stations and government funding. It requires a study all of its own. We talked about the major global players in each category. Um, did we miss anyone? There's Netflix, of course, Amazon, anyone else in subscription video who are either are now a huge player or will be? Vimeo. Yeah, Vimeo is, is not yet subscription VOD. They're, they're talking about it. Vimeo is, is, uh, is very much transactional VOD. It's a little confusing because we've all used Vimeo for the last decade as a sort of professional video sharing service. It's only in the last 18 months that they've launched a parallel uh, pay video on demand platform, but it's very much transactional right now, meaning, you know, five bucks to rent a movie perhaps and, and ten bucks to buy it. And Roger, we talked a little bit before you and I about Apple. Apple was, of course, just such a dominant figure, and we noticed its stock starting to uh, fall back a bit. And it's not really a player in this field, right? Its TVOD model, its transactional model, is kind of stuck in low gear or something. Yeah, I mean, Apple's constrained by its its walled garden ecosystem. So, um, you know, iTunes is still a major global VOD player. It's a transactional VOD service. The problem is that increasingly consumers around the world are watching VOD on 
connected devices like smart TVs, um, and iTunes isn't an available app on those smart TVs, with the exception of the Apple TV. So, so increasingly, iTunes is is uh, declining in terms of its usage in comparison to the other big VOD players. So it's sure all you can eat versus transaction, and people are preferring all you can eat for 9.95, or in your case, free, right? That's right, and I was just going to say, I mean, I'm sure Apple's um, you know, cu current position is just a point in time too. What's um, getting increasingly obvious, and the more we have um, local players as well in the market, so Stan and Presto here, um, local SVOD services, as well as a range of niche players, um, CISO, which is NBCU's SVOD service, um, focusing on comedy, um, curiosity stream, etc. The more fragmented the market becomes, the more we need aggregators to help us through this space. Um, and whether that's Amazon streaming um, service or someone like Apple to help us actually find the content that we're looking for across the multitude of services, you know, there's going to be a role for that. Sharon, you had some slides you wanted to share with us that gives you the view from, give us, that gives us the view from the ABC. Yes. I don't have a clicker, so Peter, I don't know if you can click to them, so. You've got to pay. This got is to pay. transactional VOD. Yeah, TVOD. Well, I, I don't have any. Actually, I don't have any slides on TVOD. This is really, I mean, just a graph that everyone knows about, but it just signifies what's going on in terms of the enormous growth of Netflix. Um, and I remember at the Spa conference in 2014, everyone was talking about Netflix, and it was like it, Netflix was the N word. And I remember, like, there was there were there was a scout from Netflix in the room, and and it was somewhat amusing to him that everyone was talking about it, but no one was really knowing what, what was going to happen. Then, of course, they launched last year, and it was as phenomenally successful as everyone had anticipated. So, you know, really, I mean, the stats that we're hearing from the States are that 70% of primetime internet usage in the States is uh, is people down, is viewing Netflix. So it's just phenomenal. Um, and for you guys, it does create opportunity, but also they're not the only player. As, as Beck mentioned, you've got Curiosity Stream, which is a, a, a new factual digital platform, and you know, they are, are coming to Australia next month, I think. That, so we've licensed content to them already for global opportunities, but they're coming and you know, we are seeing sort of an increasing um, specialisation and the opportunity for niche. And, and Roger, um, you might talk before I go into my slides about Amazon, the fact that Amazon now in the digital world has the Foxtel model in terms of the other platforms they're carrying. Do you want to touch upon that? Because I think that's interesting for these guys. Yeah, so Amazon, Amazon's confusing because, of course, Amazon as a, as a retailer of physical stuff is in several dozen countries. Um, but right now, Amazon Video... Um, sometimes called Amazon Prime Video, is only in a handful of countries, specifically US, Canada, UK, Germany, um, and India is about to launch. But in the US, um, Amazon Prime is certainly as big of a player um, as Netflix and as big of an opportunity, uh, possibly bigger, for, for documentary and factual producers, simply because their business model is radically different. Um, Netflix pay upfront license fees and therefore have to be super selective. And therefore, if you pitch them 100 docos, they might choose two. Contrast that with Amazon Prime, who don't pay an upfront license fee. They pay a revenue share. Therefore, there's no downside for them to say yes. And so they say yes to absolutely everything. They have so unlimited storage, right? They have unlimited storage and they and, and via distributors like us, you don't have to use Keenan Asia, but certainly you have to use a distributor, um, it is guaranteed that you can get your, 
your doco film or series or whatever video um, on Amazon Prime, and it's a huge market. They have 54 million subscribers in the US alone, so massive opportunity and guaranteed VOD distribution. Um, and just back to Netflix, I want to mention that one of the trends that we're seeing, so two years ago, three years ago, when we started licensing content to Netflix, they were very happy just to license programs on a territory-by-territory -territory basis. Now, increasingly, they're pushing back on that, and they are very much demanding global rights or nothing. So whether that's the sort of catalogue that we have and the interest, but they are very much, uh, that's the tone of the discussions that we're having with them now. So that's just interesting for you guys to bear in mind. Um, just in the digital world, um, you know, being able to find your program is absolutely critical, that whole discovery piece. And so that comes down to key art really cutting through in that digital environment. So whether it's a home screen on yep. either platforms, whether it's a title in an EPG listing, increasingly it's so important that you've got something that accurately conveys what the program is about and it's going to cut through. And importantly to the metadata, so the keywords that will help people find it and that the digital platforms feed into their algorithms to determine whether or not it's going to satisfy what their audience is looking for and whether or not it will provide um, repeat viewing for them and reach the demographics they want to reach. That's a great slide, by the way. It's saying that title and graphic are everything. And if you don't have a great title and a don't, gra don't have a great graphic, forget about it, almost. Yeah. Exactly, and this is, this is a, a production by Showrunner Productions out of WA, Ray Pedretti's company. Um, and Netflix initially just licensed this for um, to North America, for the US and Canada. And then based on the success in North America, they extended the rights for, for a global acquisition. And the feedback they gave us was that they really felt that the imagery helped it to cut through on the platform. Just on the topic of discovery, a very interesting article the other day about Netflix and that the average audience member gives themselves 90 seconds to find something or mm. they exit the app. So that just goes to how quickly your content has to grab an audience and pull them in and say, yes, I'm willing to give this a go um, or you'll just lose them. Mm. Absolutely. And uh, the, the only thing I'd add to that, because that's absolutely true, is that um, unfortunately a lot of producers um, make their poster art or hire a graphic designer to make their poster art to look really great on the side of a bus stop. Um, but it isn't great when it's shrunk down to that tiny little postage stamp size that somebody's looking at on their iPad. So, you know, critically important that that poster art is not just provocative and readable, but that it's provocative and readable at thumbnail size. I think it's important to add that this trend, title and poster art, and the correct keywords also applies to broadcast and cable and satellite because people are increasingly making their 90-minute selection from an electronic pro program guide for their cable box or where however they watch. So this rule is a universal rule that title and graphic art are absolutely critical for the success of your content, your documentary or other content. Um, so moving ahead here, this is really, what about uh, Pr promotion, just quickly, how important, it's all very well to license your programs to some, Sh Sharon, you hadn't finished, so let's move on and then we'll come sorry, to my no, question, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it's relevant, it's just it, promotion for us, obviously, our, our role is is um, B2B promotion and reaching the trade, whereas, you know, for Beck and, and it's, it's predominantly reaching consumers, so this just gives you a snapshot of what we do to make sure that 
buyers are aware of your program and to help their discovery. So we're out there in the marketplace. And a lot of it is you know, still you know, relationships and, and personal discussions, but also the supporting material and referring back to that metadata. So to be able to demonstrate them that it will deliver the cut through they're seeking on their platforms. Um, this is a fantastic factual program that the ABC um, commissioned. No? <laughs> Obviously, it's not. This, this is soulmates. This is anything but factual. So this is this is a great comedy that ABC TV commissioned um, two years ago, and I put it up as an example of um, a digital sale and digital interest creating other opportunities. So soulmates, we licensed to see so the new um, universal SVOD platform focused on comedy, and as a result of their licensing of series one, they're now on board as a co-commissioning partner with ABC for series two, and and that is increasingly happening in the factual space for digital programs. So. That's a good, um, so this is actually what they call, we call in America, I'm based in Brooklyn, the minor leagues, right? It's actually a minor league process. Through SVOD, through VOD, you can actually get your concepts out there and pilot them, pilot your talent and concept yeah. for a network commission. And is that ha that's actually happened with the ABC. Yeah, and it's a, lo a lot of what we do with iView, and we're thrilled to be working with a lot of um, both the, the st state agencies, but also Screen Australia on a lot of uh, emerging talent opportunities using iView as a distribution platform. It's a wonderful chance for the ABC to work with producers we haven't worked with before and to discover new talent and also tell stories that we haven't tested before in the market. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a huge opportunity, as well as working with more established opportunities. But um, you know, it's, it's far easier for us to give someone a, a go on iView than it is on, um, you know, with a broadcast hour or half hour. Let's talk about the pipeline. So the big platforms, Amazon, and um, I wonder if we can go to my PowerPoint for a second too. And I'll pick up the uh, mm. clicker. Sorry, Pete. No problems. So what we want to talk about just briefly is how, Roger, uh, you, you know, this is r really your business. Uh, what is the appetite for program for, um, oops, I thought I had a slide there. Can we go back? Yeah. Um, what is the appetite for commissions versus, I don't have it, um, for commissions versus acquisitions? Are Netflix and Amazon and the big players starting to commission original docs and what are they versus what is their level of reliance on acquisitions of completed films? It's still massively skewed towards acquisitions in terms of volume. So, you know, if Netflix have 50,000 titles, which is more or less the number um, in their US service, then a tiny fraction of those titles are Netflix originals, but the Netflix originals are still, you know, 30, 40, 50 shows now um, and growing very fast and accounting for a, for a huge chunk of what people watch, not least because those are the shows that Netflix promote above all others. So for sure, um, the big VOD platforms are all commissioning a lot of, um, a lot of series, dramas and comedies. Um, they, are, they are commissioning a decent number of um, of movies, uh, Amazon Prime, about a dozen a year right now, relatively small number of docos. Um, I would add that there's, there's a huge recognition, at least in the States, among the VOD platforms, um, that series are simply stickier than movies. 
Um, so if, if somebody is into um, episode one of a series, then of course they're going to they're gonna binge view through episode two, three, and all the way to the end. Um, and you don't get that stickiness from, from film to film. So I would say two-thirds to three-quarters of the investment in originals by the big, um, the big four U.S. platforms um, are in series rather than single titles. But in single titles, also taking uh, Netflix's Varunga as a case study, it was executive produced by Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Warren Buffett, the sage of Omaha, one of the richest men in the world, his brother helped fund the program. So it has this celebrity financing and celebrity, uh, celebrity presence somewhere in the film. Is that a, a, and that would count out your average documentary filmmaker. Is that a trend or is that just the, the edge of the wedge uh, as this market expands? It's definitely a trend. I mean, Netflix have so much money um, and so many great docos being pitched to them um, that, of course, the ones they're going to cherry pick are, are the amazingly compelling titles um, that have name talent somehow attached. It so, also goes to the Sharon. issue of... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, it just goes to the issue of discoverability as yeah, well. If I can... You know, look at a piece of key art on a thumbnail and I think I know that person, you know, I, I'm happy to, you know, push play. That absolutely helps Netflix and all of the other SVOD services get their return. So what about this notion of documentaries being unusually compelling for subscription services because they market to particular niches and interest groups? Have you thought about that at all? What about you, Roy? Certainly our, our experience, I mean, Kino Nation has about 6,000 titles in our catalogue right now. It'll be 10,000 by the end of the year. Probably a third of those are, are factual or documentary. Um, and they do, in general, they do better than narrative, than indie narrative features. Um, why is that? I think because there are, it's a lot easier for, for them to find their affinity group if it's a movie about about tennis or about you know, space travel or whatever the factual subject, then it's got a clearly defined affinity group. And certainly on platforms like Amazon Prime, um, people are searching perhaps for other products, related products, maybe books on the same subject, and then suddenly that, that doco is served up to them. Whereas a, a, a typical indie narrative feature that doesn't have recognizable name talent um, has a much harder time finding an audience on VOD. So yes, VOD is a in my opinion, is a fantastic um, medium for documentary and factual content. Provided it has a specific content area that's intensely appealing to a particular affinity group, is that how? Right, exactly. But that's the success of any film, correct? It has to have those ingredients, any documentary film. Yeah, knowing your audience and have a you know, very clear story and proposition that you're chasing is you know, at, at the heart. It, still needs to be a good story that we're telling. It doesn't really matter what the platform, broadcast or VOD, you know, the number one criteria for success is, is it a good story? Is it something people want to know about, want to share, want to discuss? And can I just also add, I think also, just think of how people discover on digital platforms, it's not just the image, but they put in a keyword, so, you know, um, other genres, drama, comedy, whatever, uh, if, if you, in the factual space, the storytelling is very distinctive and about specific subject matters, and so when that keyword goes in, that helps the discoverability. Huh. 
So let's just quickly talk about the deal and then the deals if we can. I mean, that Varunga film I told you about was Leo DiCaprio set in Africa. I think it had a budget of about two million and I think the Buffett's probably put in a lot of that anyway. But for acquisitions, this slide is about a year old. You know, for a peak project, they'll pay 50,000 for average 10 to 20, just typical five. What do you think? Sharon, you're selling to Yeah, Netflix. I mean, I, I do think the landscape has changed because also they have built up a substantial catalogue. So, and that whole non-exclusivity piece is, um, is, is more rarely seen in Netflix agreements <laughs> than it used to be. Um, so, look, it's, it's so wide and varied. It absolutely depends on, you know, how, what they how they feed the program into what their audience is looking for and, that, and the algorithms that their system spits out. I did want to flag with Netflix as an example. Obviously, every, every platform is, is different. But bear in mind that whatever Netflix pay, whatever the value of the licence fee is, they drip feed the payment. So it's paid on a quarterly... It's split based on quarterly payments across the term of a licence. So if there was a $50,000 deal for one year, you're not going to get that value up front. It's going to be spread across... You know, the, each quarter of, of the licence. Um, I've heard these numbers are going up anyway, but also that for the high-end documentary, for the big branded documentary, say at Sundance, there was an absolute, you know, frenzy of bidding for, for I would say, uh, big-name director's work as well as big topics. And I just think that nobody rents or buys a film based on the, whether Morgan, Morgan Spurlock or some famous director made it, it really gets down to the content. What do you think? Well, absolutely. And, you know, the frenzy, I mean, um, I had a, a conversation with Netflix long, not long after Sundance, and, you know, the, the millions of dollars that were, were um, um, shared in licence fees there were, were just phenomenal at Sundance. But, you know, Netflix, again, they're so particular about their model. So Amazon perhaps acquired more content than Sun at Sundance and Netflix. And the reason Netflix wasn't as competitive is because uh, Amazon was being more flexible in terms of the windowing and allowing a theatrical, theatrical release ahead of, of launch on Netflix, whereas Netflix increasingly are demanding it's, it's their platform first. Um, just to, to comment on the scale of these players, Discovery, which as you know has 100, you know, they, they have, what, 30 networks in 145 countries in, you know, 160 languages. Everybody three years ago regarded Discovery as the absolute behemoth in the field. Discovery's enterprise value, as finance people call it, I think is down to about 20 or 25 million from a peak of 30 uh, last year. Um, and YouTube's parent, Alphabet, is about 450 million. So these players just have enormous Billion. billions. Did I say million? Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> billions. So the scale, Discovery, 20, um, Alphabet slash Google slash YouTube, 400. The scale that they're bringing to, if they want to win this game, they are just going to crush and absorb all these networks that only three years ago we thought were untouchable behemoths. That's my perspective as a consultant. Agree or not? Yeah, I agree, absolutely. Um, it's, it's a very intense battle right now because um, not everybody can win, and, and these players all desperately want to win. Um, there's an intense fight between, in the States at least, between Amazon Prime and, and Netflix, and, uh, and now YouTube have jumped in with YouTube Red, um, 
and Vimeo On Demand is, is spending hundreds of millions of dollars um, on their service. So not everybody's going to win. There's going to be a shakeout at some point. So it'll be interesting in the next few years. But it's also, while they're spending a lot of money, it's definitely an opportunity for, for factual producers to make money. So that, you know, without generalizing too much, um, it's a good time to make hay while the sun shines. <laughs> Um, I just before we go to Q and A, Sharon mentioned Curiosity, and it, and um, that was uh, launched by you know my former client John Hendricks, who was the founder of the Discovery Channel, and it's his new uh, SVOD project that's specialising in the niche of quality information or entertaining information. Back to the old Discovery legacy, as distinct from Discovery's kind of honey boo boo, Kardashians era. And um, so niche players are emerging that are, I would say, very, very, very well credentialed. Whether or not they can survive and how, we don't know. But they're there and they're open to doing business and they also love Australians. Mm. I was just to say, in, in all genres, we are seeing the niche players emerge in the, in the digital space. That's great. Any questions? Um, if you do have a question, there's a hand up here. We've got a microphone coming down here. Please introduce yourself by name. Thank you. Hi, Andrew McPhail from Screen Tasmania. Um, a question for you in this environment. Would you recommend um, a producer is rather promiscuous with their content as opposed to getting married to one platform? Yes, sleep around. <laughs> Although, I, I mean, I think it's important to make sure you're, you know, you know what you're doing. Um, you know, the licence fees for exclusive versus non-exclusive are very different. Mm. Um, so you need to be informed before you, you know, start selling a non-exclusive deal. Otherwise, no one else might want to touch it. And in terms of the split between exclusive deals and non-exclusive deals, what's the... The trend at the moment, you, you suggested Netflix are wanting more and more exclusive deals. Well, we're, well our experience is that that's increasingly what everyone wants. Mm -hmm. But um, the, the different point of difference for you is if, if someone does license content exclusively, they are far more likely to heavily promote it and showcase it on the platform. Um, and you want people to see it. You, you know, most factual filmmakers that I've encountered you know, care passionately about the films they're making. And, you know, it's a privilege for people like me to distribute them. But, you know, you want people to see it. And if, if you do enter into an exclusive deal with any of the digital platforms, they will heavily promote it. I mean, mm. in the Netflix situation, they love badging something as a Netflix original. And as Roger said, that means that they promote it far more heavily, very much increases the discoverability. And we're the same from uh, Ivy point of view. We won't um, commission content um, unless we get an exclusive hold back on it um, for the Australian market. Obviously, we you know, really encourage uh, finance plans that include uh, money in from other areas as well and that consider second window opportunities. But we do expect to have that first window in the Australian market. That's why we commission it. That's why we will work with producers on the story to make it strong and we will promote it heavily across all of the ABC touch points. Thanks. So be promiscuous except with the ABC. <laughs> Any other questions? We've got a hand up at the back, please. Oh, I'll just butt in quickly before that oh, one. Sorry. Um, a question for Roger. Could you enlighten us a bit more about your relationship with the platforms, how Kino Nation works and what that means for a producer? Yeah, absolutely. So we, um, 
We have a direct pipeline to the platforms. Um, there's a simple reason why the platforms want to um, have a, a company like Nation between them and the producer. Um, they want, say, 50,000 films on their platform, but they don't want to deal with 50,000 producers for obvious logistical and operational reasons. Um, they want to deal with perhaps 25 or 50 distributors, specialty VOD distributors like Nation. Um, so that's, that's the reason people like us have a, have a direct relationship with them. Um, we try to make it as simple as possible. For, so the, the relationship goes simply from, from producer to Nation to the platform. And, and we will guarantee distribution on those platforms that do not curate, like Amazon Prime, and will guarantee to at least pitch the, the doco to those platforms that do curate, like Netflix and, and Hulu and, and Presto and Stan and so on. And what's your fee? We very much have the philosophy that we should only win when the producer wins, so we don't charge upfront fees. Um, we take 20% of whatever the film generates on the platform. And what's the typical split of the other 80? Is it a 50-50? So no, the other, the other 80 goes back to the producer. So if, if Amazon writes us a check for... Um, $100,000 for a film over three months, then, then we, we take 20 and we send $80,000 to the producer. But looking at Amazon there, it's a 50-50 deal with them, is that right? So you're taking 20% of 50% of the total? Yeah, it's, that's true on the transactional side of Amazon. Um, it's n not the case on the Amazon Prime side. That's, a, uh, that's a, either a, a flat license fee, um, if we can if we can negotiate a flat license fee, which we can do for the, the real top tier content, or it's a per view fee. And these per view fees, um, you know, it's, it's worth being super realistic about this. The, the, the per view fees on Amazon Prime um, are a mere 10 US cents. And they're trying to push that down to five. Fortunately, we're locked in at a 10 cent deal. So these are, these are relatively trivial per view fees um, but um, do uh, documentaries and other content on Prime gets watched tens of thousands and, and the, the top content gets watched hundreds of thousands of times a month. So it, it certainly mounts up, but, but mm -hmm. on a per view basis, uh, the subscription VOD platforms that, that do it on a rev, rev share basis are, are small amounts of money per view. So Sharon, I'm asking you, do you, do you are you licensing classic ABC archive series? Because it seems this is a great business model for a series, as yeah. we all discussed a few minutes ago. Yeah, if it's cleared and we're allowed to, but usually there are rights that apply and we can't, but if it's, if it's cleared and available, absolutely, we, we, we promote it and hopefully more people will take it. But it's difficult because of the underlying rights. Yeah, not in the factual space so much, but yeah, <laughs> right. with other genres. Yeah, we had another question up the back. And we're down to our last three minutes. Hello, Matt Farrell. I'm an independent cinematographer. Uh, uh, two questions, if I may. Uh, the likes of iView and Amazon Prime make it sound like there's much less brand protection in terms of the content that you'll choose. I in some ways, it sounds like there's more opportunity to test the water. Uh, can you comment on that and why that's different to broadcast? 
And almost as a follow-on, I get the feeling that with uh, VOD programming, suddenly the production rules have changed. Like the deliverable broadcast hour, for example, no longer exists. Um, it might be a whole other discussion, but if you may touch on yeah, what's, what's now allowable or required for that matter. I think uh, from ABC's point of view, both of those statements are true. So we, um, the first one in terms of brand protection, that's very much in response to our audience. We've typically done, you know, we haven't reached as many younger Australians um, as we ideally would have liked to, and it's very hard for us to do that in a broadcast space, but we can do that on iView, and some of that is letting go and taking more risks with our content, um, both who we're working with and the stories that we tell, than we would otherwise. Um, we've got a scripted program, a digital first program on iView at the moment called The Fuck. Um, we would. We would never even take that title and broadcast it. It would be very difficult. But on iView, it's what grabs attention and um, it's risky comedy content, very Australian from a great um, team out of WA. And that's what works and that's what we can do and that's the audience that we want to reach with iView. Um, and absolutely, um, you know, we've let go of any um, hang-ups about exactly how long a piece of content needs to be and within what we do want is series it's very hard and we've all talked about the importance of discovery it's very hard for us to bring an audience for one episode you know that's a hell of a lot of marketing effort for um, not that much time spent viewing so we do look at series but apart from that it's you know it's what it, whatever is right for the story and a lot of the content that we've commissioned so far uh, like to fuck we commissioned as a um, six by 10 minute episodes. What we actually got back was six by 15 because they just got more content than they thought they would. That's a great opportunity for us. Of course, we're going to embrace um, that extra footage coming in. All right, I think we're out of time and I was gonna ask everybody just briefly to stand up, please. Can everybody stand up and put their left hand on their right, their le no, their left hand on their light breast and hold your hands up. Come on, let's do this as a farewell, please. Everybody stand up and I want everybody to say to, after me, please, Rebecca, Roger and Sharon, you were absolutely fantastic. And I promise to study the difference between TVOD, AVOD, SVOD and FVOD. Thank you. You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the Acme website.